Ladies and gentlemen, please be aware that the following podcast has many plot details and critical opinions about the film being discussed, which could reduce your enjoyment on first viewing. Listening after viewing the film is highly recommended. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the new show. It's the same as the old show, but now we have a name. We are The Movie Trap, and I am Chris Boreff. I am Zach Powers. And I am Russell Carlson. Uh, yeah, we did. And yeah, we nailed it. No, yeah. okay, boy, <laughs> nailed we, it. We have a theoretical title based on being trapped inside and being trapped with movies and possibly based on our gimmick, trapping each other, setting traps for one another. Each of the three of us would pick uh, a movie that's a variation on some theme that's uh, something like trapped, or it could be uh an actor or director, it could be whatever the person who picks the theme it wants could it to be, be some as crazy broad. fun concept like a musical on Mars. The best musical yeah. on oh Mars. Oh boy. Yeah. yeah. Well, theoretically, we have to be able to find three films. At the end of each trio <laughs> of movies on the same theme, ideally, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of rank the three movies we saw, and the person who came out with the best film overall, according to our judgment, picks the next theme. Um,. And it's up to us to either pick the best foot forward, or we could just force our compatriots to watch something terrible, (laughs) and know we'll lose the round, but just to spite them, because they have to watch it. We've got them cornered. That's the trap. How we rank the films will be very personal. Yeah, yeah, that's... Make that, that choice that, in your own heart. For that criteria. That's, yeah, that's right. Yes, that's, uh, I guess with, since we've got the, the skeleton of what the show might fill itself into, uh, mm-hmm. let me once again try to bring us to this week's movie. Okay. Um, 2019's The Lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers, starring uh, pretty much exclusively Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. Um, mm-hmm. Those are almost the only two people that you ever really see. Um, And it's, uh, I mean, like uh, I, again, it's his, it's Robert Eggers second film. So I saw his first film, the, the witch or the vitch or however you, you pronounce it. Um, So I sort of knew what I was getting into. I, I sort of knew what I was getting into in this guy's sort of idea of horror in that there's a lot of atmosphere and a lot of emptiness almost that, fills in the dread and it's always been if i had to pick it's my preference of horror the the more dreadful and less um you know suspensive or even like gore-tastic stuff but sometimes that can be funny i i think that a lot of a horror movie writer's job and this is what i kind of want to ask you guys since you you're more aficionados than i am um is to sort of be a spigot between that dread and suspense you know and sort of like kind of be the the governor of where you're supposed to go knowing that it's a horror movie um and i thought that this movie kind of leaned a little bit more towards the dread than anything suspenseful i would totally agree with that like one of the comparisons i kept seeing was to the shining when this movie came out um that's a good one it kind of makes sense uh this is also like a lot of art horror there's there's a number of scenes that are very very uh, evocative of the shining yeah, yeah it's it's shining if it was shot by like fritz lang in the 1920s you know like yeah. oh it, yeah it, totally. it, like the silent film era you know like it looks like a german silent film and i which enough can't be said about how cool that is the medium of which it was presented in that sort of 1.9 by one ratio 
uh, didn't lean, yeah, the, didn't the draw too one. much attention to itself. I was actually pretty yeah. impressed. It didn't it didn't draw that much attention to itself. I, I wouldn't. I actually would argue against that. I don't. I don't agree. Um, I huh. think that it. I think that it was really kind of drawing attention to itself a couple times because like. Um, this guy's an interesting director because he does so much intense research. Um, and on this one specifically, he wanted it to look more like a Fritz Lang film or to be more claustrophobic. So they, um, whereas in The Witch, they shot it wide. In this one, mm-hmm. in one of the interviews I read, the guy was having trouble getting the um, production company to fund it because he picked such a weird format. Because he was shooting on, I wrote it down because it was it was weird to me. He shot on Kodak Double X five two two film, which is black and white film. It's hard to light that. It's hard to light that. You know, well, like it's it's, it's two fifty ISO, and that's daytime. Oof. Inside, yeah. it's two hundred. Yeah. <laughs> so they said that all these scenes that are so like moody and atmospheric in this movie were lit up like a christmas tree in the room it was blinding like people sitting across the table couldn't see each other because the little lamp that was there had like a 650 tungsten or something lamp just in it so like anytime you see the little like um you know lanterns in there those things Mm -hmm. are blinding um, God, well, so that that last scene with the lighthouse must have been brutal. Then you know, I mean, yeah. that must have. I mean, he must have gotten cancer or some shit. <laughs> I'll get to the production part of it because it does look like and sound like this production was a bit of a fucking chore. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's I, also I, from what I've heard true of his previous of the the Vavitch was also okay, very really very, yeah. Not knowing the the technical aspects and just looking at the aesthetics of how it looked, I was impressed that you do get just sort of engrossed in that small image, you know, with mm-hmm. you, you, I, I am impressed with that without, I think drawing too much attention to itself, but I, I can concede that more if you're probably right, you know, you watching it, you'd be like this is it. It's meant to look like a Fritz Lang film. So like it, yeah. that in it of itself is a bit gimmicky. Well, they went back and they looked at like uh, the, the lens itself was like a 1912, 1938 lens kit. Um, so they used a fairly modern, body but they found as old as possible lenses as they could and i noticed whenever they would do shots they would do subframing a lot where and this has become really popular on shows like mr robot if you ever watch that where like sure rather than doing the traditional like um thirds setting, yeah thirds rather than setting up proper um composition lines what they'll do is they'll like essentially create a giant void and then do a subset mm-hmm. composition line in the top third or lower third it almost feels like the environment is more oppressive because they're so small yeah. in frame and the frame itself is already crushed in on the sides. How did you guys feel about the seagulls? Uh, you know, I, I, I well, I mean, I, I immediately thought of the whole killing of the seabird. The first thing I thought of was the, the Coleridge poem, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. That's mm-hmm. the first time I think I learned that in fucking middle school or some shit, you know, about, you know, killing an albatross is bad luck on. Yeah, and, sure. When this movie was pitched to me by like my twin or some shit, um, you know, he, he kept seeing it seems like a lot of like Lovecraft themes intertwined and and there is a bit and we can get into that later but there is a na- there is a notion of you know nature really being the 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 bad guy here i'll say this first about the seagulls one it's by bar none the best seagull acting i've ever seen in a film <laughs> that seagull when he is standing in front of the door he sells that shit that seagull yeah. sells it 
Yeah, I, um, I mean, I could see him in like a Jonathan Livingston Seagull like remake, like a gritty one, maybe. Yeah, uh, or a biopic but the, but about the flock of seagulls. They're they're <laughs> they're all CGI though. That's one of the things. Are they really? Yeah, because what it was originally so, was that they just stuck like a stuffed uh, puppet, and like anytime they're interacting, they're interacting with a puppet. But then they went back and shot like a real live seagull on a green screen and just mapped it in. But if you see seagulls just sort of flying around in the background, those guys are real because evidently mm-hmm. like, okay. it was, you know, they yeah. went to a real island and made their lives really hell while they were filming this yeah. by having the, tons and tons they, no, of no, beggy seagulls. No rain machine in that place. No rain yeah. machine in that place for sure. Um, uh, well, I'll say uh, two points. One, we mentioned The Shining. One of the ways in which this movie resembles The Shining that is not uh, so transparently visual, like stuff like uh, one of the people coming after another with an axe, which is obviously going to evoke The Shining, but also in that a lot of what occurs, it's unclear how much of it is sort of this supernatural balance Very of true. the sea, like kind of like they fucked with the seagull and that caused the storm kind of thing, and how much is just mm-hmm. these two guys went fucking crazy and there's no supernatural shit going on whatsoever. Um, but Very true. I mean, you could also the make the argument Nate- that all of the uh, all of the the harsh the harsh uh, uh, things that occur later all stem from that one moment when Robert Pattinson's like, "I don't like your lobster," yeah. because he gives him the great like sea curse, but mm-hmm. it's all over him not liking dinner. So when you see well, him, all the things that happen, it's dinner. <laughs> that's the same thing. That's the that same later. thing. There's. But it's the same thing with the seagull thing, right? Because Defoe warns Pattinson that, like, the souls of dead sailors live in seagulls, and if you kill a seagull, you invite the rage of the ocean. So I don't even know... To call nature the enemy is... I'm not sure if that's correct. It's more about, like, there are rules to how you are supposed to treat ocean and the sort of... I don't know... There's a lot of Greek mythology stuff in this, but, like, the sort of, like... The... The... The minions of Poseidon, the followers of Poseidon, the ghosts, the Davy Joneses, all that shit. There's a way you're supposed to treat them. And if you don't follow these specific rules, you're going to get fucked. They might be on your side. They might be against you. But if you don't work with them, they're going to fuck you. So it's not necessarily that nature is the, the villain. Even Robert Pattinson and both these men are either definitely or strongly alleged to have been murderers before the start of this even begins yeah it's that these are sinners who are transgressing against something nature or society or what have you or some vengeful god yeah it's not that they're inviting all of this upon themselves it's not that nature is evil it's retro well i mean it is robert pattinson's comeuppance again it's it's prometheus it's it's it's, i mean like they don't yeah it's so the seagulls are the ones who are the one who exacting the ultimate revenge and eating him alive um it's funny i've heard the interpretation uh, but again, the I, I, opposite pairing like i've heard the interpretation that robert pattison represents the old gods and then william defoe represents proteus or uh prometheus as the one who controls the light because of the lighthouse itself and then the other guy is trying to get it and eventually has to kill him to i don't know maybe it's the other maybe the, the guy had to kill uh, god the, to get the strong the strongest argument i would say well one um well, Defoe seems to either be... I've, I've heard Proteus makes sense, but I don't know about him being Prometheus. Like, the just to spoil the ending a little bit, uh, near the end, 
Pattinson has been gate has not been allowed into the uh, lighthouse proper, the actual light area by by Defoe at all. It's like, and there's an implication. There's some supernatural, amazing thing up there. There's a scene where like Willem Defoe is above him in the lighthouse, and he seems like he's masturbating at first, and then he turns into like a tentacle monster or something. Um, and then at the end of the movie, Robert Pattinson, from Robert Pattinson finally gets up to the lighthouse after killing Defoe, looks at the light and has like a seemingly orgasmic moment before falling back down the stairs. That seems very similar to like someone climbing Olympus, stealing the light uh, of the gods fire. And then the next shot, the final shot is Pattinson on the beach having his liver eaten by seagulls, which is exactly what happens to Prometheus. Even having going so far as Defoe earlier saying, "You will meet a Promethean fate." Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he, this, yeah, yeah that he, he literally and and also how how Pattinson got his clothes off for the birds to eat him is is still to be disputed, and how the birds dragged him from the bottom of the lighthouse stairs to the, the ocean is still in his but, eyes uh, at an uncertain point. So at some point, his eyes. Yeah. That's why I and, and, and to your point, Zach, I, I about the shining where you're really not clear what is real and what's not like you yeah. as the audience member are left totally in the dark. Um, it usually it, this is done on purpose by a lot of directors and it normally annoys me. And then this one didn't really get under my skin, but I did, you know, have to like look at my fucking watch like, OK, we almost done with the dream sequence that I know is not going to fucking matter. Um, but I did want to say, though, I, I enough. I, I, I know Willem Dafoe was nominated for an Oscar and, you know, Rob Padson, I think, did pretty well as well. I, I, I wonder when you cast a movie like this um, where, you know, it's just going to be two guys pretty much throughout the whole movie. Like, do you try to cat? Because from what I gather, this is the first time these two have ever worked together um, and and didn't really know each other all that well, even while shooting, um, because it was just such a nightmare shoot. That everyone's just too tired, wants to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I wonder, do, do you do a movie like this? And it, it maybe it just depends on the script specifically. But when a movie still requires a lot of chemistry between the two performers. Do you go for perfect strangers or do you go for people who are more comfortable with each other? Like, I, I, I just want your kind of take on that. I mean, I just immediately thought of Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon, but I thought you know, probably not. I, I mean, that's a, so totally different. Like that's obviously a comedy and probably in a comedy, the safe bet is to go with, with people who, you know, know each other, know each other's sensibilities have worked together are like a proven duo. For something like this, it's harder to say because these characters are just meeting and so antagonistic to each other. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, I've heard the story that these guys um, continued being sort of distant until a couple weeks into production. Like they didn't chat with each other a lot until a couple weeks in and they liked each other fine after they started talking. But, um, you know, I mean, they're working actors. So a great deal of what if you get someone who's really talented, they'll be able to convince you that they have familiarity and history with someone. Uh, chemistry sure. is I mean, really uh, just for sure. you get you get lucky because there's lots of movies where you yeah. see on paper and you're like that should work but then in person it's like no that doesn't oh, work at for all sure. like, I think uh, I think we my, one of my vague memories is back when we were doing this the first time and I think this is war starring uh, Chris Pine Tom Hardy and Reese Witherspoon oh, that's as, right. the romantic, that's right. yeah. uh, yeah. as the romantic yeah. lady yeah. which they didn't have like any level of chemistry there. So I think they just got lucky on this one. You know, I, I do think to Zach's point in a, in a, you take it in a case by case basis, obviously, depending on what movie you're doing. And in this case, it is basically 
these are perfect strangers. You know, even if I accept that w- both of people are real, I'm still not entirely convinced that Willem Dafoe actually existed. Neither of them knows each other's names until a fair amount into the movie. I think Dafoe asks him his patents him his name first at like maybe the 15 20 minute mark and he gives a false name and then he doesn't return the favor of asking his name for another like 20 or 30 minutes defoe doesn't even ask his name patents him demands him call him that because he's tired of being called dog and lad and stuff like he demands to be called winslow um you know so for like a week willem defoe's just been calling him dog or you mangy scurvy you know whatever um I, i i did read that in the original script he was supposed to have like a glass eye and you know but they thought he'd be too much like a pirate and i'm like well i mean he got Will and Defoe, you know, I mean, he, he, he just Can I just say, the pirate, you know, you know, not that bad. tangentially recently, my girlfriend and I watched Rushmore because she had never seen that and she wanted to keep watching Wes Anderson movies. So we kept going and she'd never seen Life Aquatic. So we watched that oh, maybe my favorite. two or three days before this movie. And in that, Willem Dafoe plays a sailor who's it's constantly amazing. yelling things he's like amazing. Lanto. Oh, and I just so amazing. Watching this movie, I couldn't mm-hmm. help but be like, this is just Klaus 20 years it down is, the line. It, yeah. it totally is. And he's just totally in desperate need for a father figure. I mean, yeah. like, it's so great. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's and funny. And he's just because, stranded alone. And- yeah, they both are deeply... Um, sympathetic characters that are also like they come across really strong but you realize that they're incredibly frail and in uh, life aquatic he's always calling luke wilson sunny and sunny boy and it's not far off until he goes to lad and laddie <laughs> yeah there you go yeah you mangy dog um so, but I no i mean like you guys. I, 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 do you guys think this is a comedy I wanted to talk about that because I think if you cut this to different music, this movie would be hilarious. I specifically thought where Robert Pattinson has got the strap of his head just mulking his way up there and you could just put on Harry Mancini's Baby Elephant Walk and it's hilarious. You know, do 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 There are so many movies, like, there are so many moments that seem to be almost purposely comedic. Not only when they're drunk, but like, then the the scene where they get so over the top at points, even in the drama, like the way uh, You Don't Like Me Lobster leads to that huge monologue. Uh-huh. And then Robert Pattinson's just soliloquy. like, and then there's a vine after he I'm finishes fine. it. It's f- yeah. It's I, like, I loved, I loved the, uh, I love the what sequence where they just kept yelling what at each other because that's, yeah, that's that right before like, it. Yeah. So many office jobs I've had have been that where you're just like, you have headphones on. Somebody says something, you're like, what, what, what? And you just got to keep yelling at them. And well, it's just, it's infuriating. Dude, there's a scene in this movie where they do that part in The Big Lebowski where they throw Donnie's ashes out to the sea, but with poop. Yeah, yeah. Bad nut, yeah. <laughs> and and I, I mean, they're, they're literally, the I, I think at the, by the end of the movie, they're drinking lantern oil, you know, like that just to get, fucked up yeah. you know um yeah they and the, seagull, the seagull's hilarious too the mm-hmm. acting on that seagull is very funny <laughs> the, the mermaid uh, thing would be weird but then if you just put it a la like the music from the big lebowski it'd be pretty funny um and that's why i i, I think this is a great example of how music and sound design in movies can literally change a movie. Like it, it will be a completely different movie um, with just like just one song note here or there. This soundtrack's very, you know, ominous, a lot of like hard horns and flutes and, and very, they use the foghorn a lot, which I kind of liked. I, I, yeah, I it's a, a, that's a real foghorn too. 
That was one of the oh, things I, I read. Yeah, they, they went down the rabbit hole and eventually, like, there's some YouTube guy who fixes up old foghorns and they YouTube stalked him and they're like, hey, can you go record me some foghorn sounds? And then he went mm, off and wow. did that. And then they gave him nice. credit for it. And so that, that weird, ominous monster nightmare foghorn is a real foghorn and it's awesome. <laughs> Well, but anyway, I but it's I think also what made it not funny for anybody was just the the shoot of it. You know, like you say, the technical oh, aspects yeah. of the blasting light. But I mean, that's real storms, real wind when they're standing out there waiting for that ship to come in. They that's fucking what that wind is like in those places. And it's I actually think that this is a good launching point for something we almost talked about earlier. But we were talking about how comedic this movie is. One of the things that sometimes feels very comedic is there is a lot of bodily functions there's a lot of farting there's a lot of coming there's a lot of masturbation yep and uh there was i mean the lighthouse is phallic and i think one of you was pointing out something about how there were supposed to be yeah no because i read that i read that like there were certain in like some of the original scripting and conceptual ideas was like to smash cut an erect penis with the lighthouse and to do that a couple of times and he was just trying to avoid an nc 17 rating and that's yeah. the only reason why they got yeah. rid of it yeah i think we both did and the same uh, the same little dance down imdb uh, movie trivia page yeah I, <laughs> yeah and i saw that and well see and i i didn't know that the first time i watched it so i went down the imdb fucking hole and then mm -hmm. i watched it again and i'm like oh boy in the masturbating there's a lot of you know I, maybe it's a lot to do with coming you know because i uh, i remember uh, darren aronofsky's the fountain um it, with uh hugh jackman uh, that movie's got a lot of, uh, I mean, like they, th he stabs a tree and white substance comes out of it and, you know, and literally a bolt of light shoots out through his crotch. I mean, um, Carlson, and in this one, we, do we you all know think that we all know that, uh, not to say this in a way that'd get me in trouble, but Darren Aronofsky's movies tend to be a little bit masturbatory. So, mm. you know, hmm. Mm. would you, would you think this movie's masturbatory with mermaids and whatnot? Well, I mean, it's definitely rumination on guilt. So I guess in some ways um, mm -hmm. that would probably be sort of a form of self-flagellation. I don't know if the film itself has some direct corollaries to like. Right. I'm not I'm not comparing it to Steve McQueen's shame, you know, which <laughs> is just basically a John Cassavetes movie. But instead of booze, there's fucking um, it's the, literally the same story. Um, but I think that. I, I wonder that about this movie and I, I wonder if the sexual aspect isn't the male bonding if there wasn't something between these two men that you know I, I, I kind of wonder that because there's a lot of smash cutting going on when he's punching Willem Dafoe down there and it, there does seem to be some level of I don't know attraction I know, think, like there's, I think of, that's 100% yeah. I mean I think during both the masturbation scene and the scene of him beating Willem Dafoe there's cuts between him and the mermaid he keeps like feeling yeah. attracted yeah. to I think there's a lot and there's a recreation of this old 1904 painting called Hypnosis that I think is supposed to be about homosexuality of a man yeah that's like flashing lights into another Sasha, man's eye Sasha Schneider or Sasha yeah. Sasha Schneider it was also he was a gay painter who um had to be undercover because uh it was illegal at that time I, I think, think ah and I think that's part of why a their camaraderie is much heightened when they're drunk 
And but then it becomes very tense very quickly. And when they're not and drunk, violent. they're very antagonistic. Yeah. Like I think their intimacy with each other is threatening to them half the time. Yeah. And so they rebel it, like they fight against it and become more antagonistic to, uh, antagonistic to each other in response. Like it's a whole masculinity yeah. trap thing. Yeah, and because I, I think part of the idea, and again down that same, you know, I I think the idea came from a kind of true story about like two lighthouse keepers named I've, Tom who ended uh, up yeah. killing themselves this or killing each other or something. The smalls, so I, I can I can talk about this a little bit. This is the Smalls Lighthouse incident. I actually talked about this on my other podcast, um, but it was about two lighthouse keepers also named Tom um, who were known to be antagonistic towards each other. Ended up stuck. Ended up stuck on a lighthouse during a severe series of storms when the elder Tom died of natural causes. So the younger Tom uh, worried that if he just threw him out to sea, people would think he murdered him. So he, you know, kept the body. But it was extremely, you know, there were storms going out outside. It was dangerous to go outside. So uh, the body started to rot and smell. So he put it out on the lighthouse shelf in a makeshift coffin and like tied it to the shelf. Coffin eventually got destroyed by the winds and like the body was hanging out like in front of the light at points there were where there were stories that people could see the outline of a body from the lighthouse and one of the hands hung out in front of the window where the where the younger Thomas was living and it would flap in the wind like it was beckoning him out and he uh, after he got off the island had some mental problems (laughs) I would imagine Jesus so eerie because it you know i know it 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 harkens back to the end of ahab and and moby dick you know where they think he's okay but it's just his body strapped to moby dick hey i'm talking to back and over spoiler spoiler buddy okay (laughs) (laughs) relax everyone i just spared you a bunch of chapters about outdated whale anatomy speaking of Uh, for this for this podcast should we put like a general spoiler warning up front because we spoil the shit out of these movies pretty quick we could the thing is is it's like i've also noticed that if you're putting out a podcast and you're talking about a movie that people are only really going to click on that if they've seen it if themselves. they've seen the movie yeah it's like, true it's true a, i mean we've got a kind of a game show thing going on but yeah yeah but, well no, it's I, also I, like I, even I, if we, even if i'm like listening to like one of the other podcasts with us do like flop house like i'm not going to click on an episode that i'm worried they're going to spoil something like i'd wait and watch the movie but outside of that sure. if someone's clicking on this i'm assuming well, in that case it. you probably wouldn't even watch the movie yeah, either they are already yeah, seen I would hope it, so. or they're not particularly interested in seeing it, or aren't worried about spoilers. Yeah, I think it's a fair assessment. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But I, one of the things I wanted to talk about with Lighthouse, and again, seeing the guy's previous film, um, it, it, he gets a lot. He, could, he this Eggers gets compared a lot to Ari Aster, who does the 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 Hereditary and the Midsummer movies. They're I think they're Hereditary and Witch came out almost the same year they came out midsummer um, and this close. came out the same year yeah this yeah, and, yeah. This and so, midsummer both came out the same year too so. yeah and and so it's weird I, it, it's weird to watch these two and I, I they're kind of more or less up and coming this is only their second feature length on on between the two of them um they it's it's weird for me because i like i liked midsummer more than i liked hereditary and i think i liked which more than i liked white house lighthouse so it's it's yeah. strange to me to watch kind of matching you know colleagues at least uh kind of do different things and and you know it's it's fun sure. to watch and to see how they're different just considering how close hereditary and witch seem to be yeah the, um, like, the other one that's 
kind of in that ballpark, who also had a new movie recently that I haven't seen is Jennifer Kent, who did The Duke, And then I think her last movie that came out last year was called The Nightingale. Yeah. But the, um, the Duke I have seen. Um, yeah. The Nightingale, uh, it has some, it's a revenge film. And it okay. is, it's a, it, there is a lot of rape in that movie. And that's one of the reasons yeah, I I've, I've understood it. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, it's kind of, it's, it's strange that both Hereditary and Witch do very much seem to rely on the supernatural. Whereas Lighthouse and Midsummer, definitely Midsummer, but kind of in the Lighthouse, it's debatable. The, the amount of supernatural shit that's going on. Yeah. Um, Whereas Midsummer, there's none. I mean, there's there's no, to my knowledge, there's nothing really supernatural going on, um, you know, other than a lot of LSD, I guess. Um, yeah. But, I mean, you know, yeah. it, so I just think it's strange that that both of them kind of diverged from their original kind of starting point, well, ghosts and spooky stuff. To talk about it in a more practical sense, like those are easier to sell movies. So, like, if you're if you're trying to sell someone on genre fair, it's way easier to say to them, like, hey, I've got this idea about um a family that's got a hereditary curse or talking about uh, an old country farmhouse where everyone's being attacked by black philip and there's a witch versus you know more secondary second movie type stuff let's go a a step farther not to say too much about hereditary and the vavich but i think both of them have this other thing in common where the fact that they're supernatural is not apparent until kind of near the end of the movie. Prior Very true. To, yeah, prior to that point, you could argue nothing supernatural happens, and then near the end, they reveal in both cases, they decidedly come down to the side of supernatural shit is happening. Right, and even in, but it, but in the lighthouse, the supernatural shit it's sort of in this weird like dreamscape sort yeah. of thing it's and 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 sort of similar in midsummer although not not really it's more like she's haunted by the past i think midsummer is a good midsummer and hereditary are very similar in that you're dealing the main characters are dealing with trauma and how they're like going through trauma i thought midsummer was a little bit better at achieving that than 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 um than hereditary in my opinion but i mm-hmm. i think that lighthouse this is i think guilt and shame are wrapped up in this quite a bit not so much in the vich you know, no, where no, it's no, no. more superstition and, and paranoia. This is a little bit of paranoia. It's a lot less paranoid than I thought it was going to be. I mean, like he, he rummages through the logbook to see what he wrote about him. But it's not like he's he could have stolen those keys off of him. It seems like pretty easily. But I mean, he did try to or at least he was going to stab him or some shit. Well, um, I like that. I like that they made I, it like character based and more um, personal that they i mean there's a lot of things in this they could have truncated by just having robert pattison go and take care of it earlier but i think making it so sure. that he has to deal with then the antagonist really keeps be a it, movie yeah. yeah it keeps it locked into the other characters because yeah. you yeah. gotta get the two people there's, to chew up or something in particular like there's scenes that are uh i don't know it was speaking of like the things where we can't tell what's real uh there's a secondary level to that i found um that involves a this idea robert pattinson has that he killed his former uh, assistant i don't know if that actually happened or not he finds a head in a basket he pulls out of the water which seems very convenient i don't know if that's true and then later in the movie it's unclear how much willem dafoe is genuinely gaslighting robert pattinson because willem dafoe comes after his lifeboat with an axe and then when they get back to the cabin 
Defoe says, you just came after me with that axe. And he's yeah, like, how long have we been here? Have we been yeah. here two days? Have we been here five weeks? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, and that's, and that's where it's, you really don't know who's actually crazy, yeah. you know, like, and that's kind of, and, and again, it's a useful trope and it brings you the audience into the, the kind of danger of the movie is that one of these guys are going to snap completely. Um, and you know, I, I, you could have a pretty good guess of which one I, yeah. mine was Wilm Dafoe. So I lost. Um, but, uh, but then again, I, 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 I'm under the impression that, you know, I don't know. Cause you bring up that lobster thing, you know, and the fact that, yeah, it cuts to it, but that is kind of the, the turning point in between the two of them. And, and it's it, because, he learns the the real truth about Winslow or about Tommy, but yet he doesn't like his lobster. And that's when he, that's when he invokes the rage of Neptune or whatever, you know, like it's, it's, it's kind of interesting to make that happen and you want to call it petty, but it's also very human, you know, like people, a guy like that, who's well, all he wants to do. The only thing he can take pride in is how good his cooking is or yeah. how well he could jerk off to a lighthouse. I mean, I have you guys ever had like weird jobs like this where it's been kind of an isolation job? Like, I know we're all at home right now, but have you guys had jobs in the past where you were stuck with someone off in the middle of nowhere? night shift on AE work, buddy. You get yep. night injections into the avid. You yep. know it. Yeah. So I'm was, all by myself. Yep. I was just going to say, cause there's like been times in my life where I wound up not through anybody. Yeah, I used fault, to be a hotel you, clerk when we started this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I was a night auditor. So I wound uh, up with that, some real that, strange people. That had a people. lot of fun. That was a lot of fun stories. Ooh, so many, so many prostitutes turned out, um, of the building, uh, not turned out as in hired. Um, <laughs> Anyway, the uh, uh, yeah, no, I've had weird jobs. There's also when I was at the dorms, like there was that thing that would always happen where like uh, Christmas would roll around and everybody would go home. So be me mm. and whoever the RAs yeah. were that had were all sad and lonely, unable to go home, stuck there uh, for like two weeks or more with like no running like kitchen, nothing else. So you tended to like get very insular sort of like what we're dealing with in quarantine right now but uh oh for sure i mean i guess we we, at least i don't know about personalities yeah that's and at least you know i'm quarantined with my wife and we haven't quite gotten to the lighthouse phase of of driving each other crazy um well and and even so like we i think what kind of i don't believe i don't believe that you and sarah haven't gotten fucking pissed drunk and yelled what at each other for 10 minutes straight (laughs) we did have we did have shrimp spaghetti and she didn't she didn't compliment it as much as i felt she should have shrimp spaghetti uh, uh yeah shrimp spaghetti what are you doing yeah, to that poor woman? Wait, sorry. What uh, sort of shrimp? Uh, no, pis- it was sorry. What garlic sort of shrimp? Pisetti- it was like oh, it was shrimp? like shrimp scampi. Relax. Dude. Okay. Was, you know, come well, on. I just thought just it was like, like shrimp. Make a bowl like, of spaghetti and shrimp. Just shrimp tossed in with marinara sauce. Pushed in front of her. Not, not. No, 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 no. It was a HelloFresh thing. I just had to follow the instructions. There's gotcha. literally no way I could fuck that up. Um, though, give. I'll find a way. Um, but no, I, I, I think that um, that's a, a, what makes the external danger from this one compared to like the the rear window movie is this one's the weather, you know, like it's it. That's what I mean about like nature really is like pounding these fucking people. Um, and, and you get this hint that there's more to nature 
then you know, you know, and a lot of that's like the mermaid fucking and stuff like that. They, it, it, boy, look at the IMDb page, folks. They will go into detail about how they found that mermaid vagina. You know, like they, they more <laughs> it's, detail it's than shark, I wanted to know. Shark vagina. It's um, a shark vagina. Yeah, more more detail than I needed to know. They could have just said we just made this up, and I would have totally believed them. I, you know, I it didn't matter to me. But it that's sharks, what I think. Sharks got to reproduce too, man. Yeah, I'm sorry I know. that sickens you, but uh, that's that, the way it, it is. And being in LA, I've also been, uh, I've wound up meeting uh, award-winning dildo designers. So I've seen all sorts of strange sexual implements in my time out here. Uh, it's wow, it is a wild world. To their own urge or whatever it is. <laughs> no, no kink shaming like, here. So was, was the, the addition of this sort of Lovecraftian otherworldliness of presumably Robert Pattinson's madness. Um, do, what do you think that adds to the film other than just your own adding to the supernatural and something that doesn't really need to be supernatural. I mean, like, cause they kind of do it in the shining, but the shining does kind of deal with the supernatural. Cause the kid can talk with his brain. Um, and, and in, in this one, there's this weird sort of like, like I said, kind of a similar in the witch, you know, where you've got like this, this sort of, you know, very, I don't want to call it pagan, but it's very, otherworldly you know davy jones and greek mythology and shit like that um and letting that payoff of you know they hint about the whole tentacle monster thing and then when he's beating him up he straight up turns into the tentacle monster and then that's it that's pretty much as weird as it goes and then the the lighthouse itself being its own form of cosmic terror um so i i'm just curious to what that added to the level of paranoia was that for us to communicate Robert Pattinson's madness or was that to enhance our own sense of non-reality? I mean, I suspect the, I think, I mean, I suspect it's a little bit of both, right? I think that probably, um, it is intended to make the viewer be uncertain as to what's going on. And, but it's also like such a part of the plot that like, this is fundamentally a story about a person that is going mad or losing their sense of self for a few different reasons. Guilt over the murder they committed, uh, isolation, descending into extreme alcoholism over the course of the mm-hmm. movie. Um, this person they're with who has this dominant relationship to them but also this weird flip where they become the closest of friends and perhaps even attracted to each other like all of these things are like tearing apart this guy's sense of who he is and what is real and I think that's the point of the movie and the fact that the audience goes along the ride with him is by design Um, but yeah like the the main focus of the movie is the madness in my opinion for sure have you guys uh, like I said I more in uh, quarantine Probably a little, yeah. Oh, for sure. No, yeah. yeah, me too. I just, oh, yeah. Uh, that was one of the things that oh, yeah. came up in the movie, and I'm like, yeah, all right. I mean, he lasted about as I long get it. as I yeah. did. <laughs> Like, it, it didn't help that that my wife uh, is, does uh, legal work and she was kind of quasi essential in the middle of it, but they just restricted it down to every other day. Mm. So every other day was a Friday, um, and every you know. So that's 
yeah yeah i fucking get it you know mm-hmm. liquor stores are essential i get it um <laughs> you know it's, 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 it's i would totally dip some honey in some lighter fluid um oh which uh, you know i i when when they yell monkey pump i looked that up real quick the monkey pump is an actual thing it's an old-timey nautical term for um people used to have big casks of like stuff on ships and they'd have a plug in it or a gimlet i think uh what someone would do is they take a piece of straw and they jam it through that so they could get a little sip through it surreptitiously and that was referred to as a monkey pump so I guess hmm. them figuring out a way to get I'll a little damned. a little zimzam from uh, fuel uh, might have been their version of monkey pump. I guess I'll, I'll be goddamn, and he didn't even have to haul it up the lots and lots of stairs. Um, but I, I will say, like uh, seeing this guy, the way he uses cosmic terror. What I wanted to say is, I would love to see this guy straight up adapt a straight up hp lovecraft just do a straight adaption adaptation of an hp lovecraft story i don't know if it'd be any good because i think that those stories are very it's there is uh, it's it's just yeah there's like the number of hp lovecraft adaptations i can think of that are any good are like reanimator which one of his his least cosmic horror stories already it's also at least based off what his actual work was it was like literally the first two minutes of that movie is the entire story i i have a soft spot for in the mouth of madness john carpenter's in the mouth of madness yeah me too um, i fucking love it plus besides that there's there's not much this at least shows that i think he could handle it pretty well depending on the story he'd use i mean obviously you couldn't mm-hmm. just do like the dream quest of unknown kadath you know what well, or anything like that but this guy's been um tapped to do a bunch of other films now he's gone oh, sure like, a nosferatu remake is what was in the works um there's a mini series about rasputin he's working on and uh he also had something tentatively announced that is uh vikings uh and mm-hmm. that would be um, there's a lot of rumors attached to that because he's a super hot young director right now. So that means that every you're going to hear constant like, oh, he's doing this project, that project. And then eventually something will come out just on the HP Lovecraft thing. And this is a kind of a tangent um, because this guy just reminded this is also a movie that has a climax at a lighthouse and it has a bit of an HP Lovecraft aesthetic, but a little bit more sci fi. Have you guys seen Annihilation? Yes, I've I seen have Annihilation. Not. It was great. <laughs> I have oh. not yet seen no. it. Well, you can put it on the list. It's, uh, it's yeah. fun. It's, uh, you keep that one in the chamber there, Powers. It's the writer. It's uh, Alex. The writer. He's Alex the same. Garland. The director previously made Ex Machina. It's because doing Lovecraft, it, try to do it, it. I It almost wouldn't have to be a straight adaptation. Yeah. And but I, I'd be curious to see him try just because I think that a lot of those stories are so, you know, you're reading stories about reading about reading you know <laughs> like that's what a lot of lovecraft is um and and and, and being able to to strike that balance uh, between building dread that you probably will never really understand um, yeah well you you even once told me that it, uh, a good example of like cosmic terror would be alien um where there you just have this kind of unsympathetic i mean it's much more of a straight slasher movies so to speak but that that does kind of deal with a theme of like otherworldly oh, yeah. terror yeah it's it's them coming across something that's completely unknown and then having to like have the really functional question of like what 
what does my experience in my life mean now? I mean, I would suggest that cosmic terror is probably the latent fear of uh, pandemics, which is what we're dealing with right now. (laughs) I I would suggest that because I think when he was working a lot of that stuff out, it was, you know, people were still actively afraid of the Spanish flu and um, all of the uh, terrible diseases that were affecting children at the time. Well, and and also the the sort of new technologies in warfare and the mm-hmm. capacity for violence that that increased tenfold after World War One. Uh, also, um, just to just to call know. it out because it's Lovecraft, uh, his overwhelming fear of black people might have had something to do oh, with. Oh yes. oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh. Very and, and, you racist. Know, uh, it's not like it's not like he hit it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like he hit it um yeah like you know uh, when I, I remember when i learned this when i learned that lovecraft was a virulent racist i really just discounted it as like well he was a white guy and that you know i just assumed that everybody white was fucking racist back then mm-hmm. which not untrue but when you read his writings there's a little bit more than a passive yeah. belief shall we say um so yeah and that's what i but i would like to see somebody like him and i think it's great that him and ari aster are sort of like the new hot come and i want to ask you guys this you guys being is this sort of like the new trend in horror movies nowadays i mean the, the new hot long what? gone or are he did the new hot trend in horror movies trend you, i heard a very different word for a second uh, i, I like, heard the same oh, word no. you you cut yourself off after saying the word hot come um <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, this, we are talking about the lighthouse, folks. <laughs> a lot of expectorating in this movie. It was a lot of hot expectoration. Uh, uh, this is the new way. I think this stuff, and I mentioned Jennifer Kent, even the guy I just mentioned, uh, Alex Garland and Annihilation or things like mm-hmm. It Follows. I think like there is a new age of prestige horror that is refreshing after the 2000s and the 90s and the early 10s. Yeah. Um, uh, Because for a long time, horror was just really gutter trash. It was like a lot of Eli Roth shit, a lot of of torture porn and paranormal activities found footage stuff took Uh, over for a long time. And I think this is the, there's, that still exists. There's still going to be like shit, Blumhouse low level stuff. And let's not forget the good Blumhouse stuff like Get Out is also coming back. Yeah, there's, there's, Blumhouse does have, when it, certain Blumhouse outings are actually pretty, pretty fun. But Get Um, Out, uh, and now uh, Candyman is coming out Candyman is coming out from with Jordan Peele executive producing even more than these two. I think Jordan Peele is the new the new horror like visionary of our age. Uh, Jordan Peele's because he's even coming out. Speaking of Lovecraft, he's coming out with that HBO show called Lovecraft County. I don't know. I don't. My brother's reading the book. Does it have anything to do with like that kind of like Eldritch sort of? I have no idea. I didn't know. You guys know. Okay. well. Carlson, you froze. Oh, no. He was going to say something good. I can feel he was going to say something real good. Okay, so, uh, hey, everybody, quick update. Um, Carlson had some sort of a boogan get into his computer, and he is not with us right now, unfortunately. He's going to probably do a separate wrap-up, but we were right at the end of the episode anyway. So, uh, I guess Zach and I are going to do quick wrap-up thoughts on this thing and then bid him adieu so he can go put on his blue apron and get down to business. So, uh, I love this movie. I had a good time with it. I don't know how you felt about it, but I, uh, I had a good Uh time. I don't, 
I think this one I liked a little bit better than Rear Window right now, to be honest, um, because this one was like Rear Window is one of those like, um, yeah, it's an intellectual one where you have to really kind of think about it. And it's also used so much in film school that it's very hard to see it with fresh eyes or a fresh light. But this one's so new um, that it was very easy to sort of like just appreciate it for what it did while it was being wild on screen. Um, how do you compare this one to the last one? Uh, you know, I think I might agree with you uh, that I, I kind of, like I said last time, uh, I found Rear Window when I saw it to be not great Hitchcock, but good Hitchcock. And um, good Hitchcock from the 1950s at this point, uh, despite all of its innovations, can feel a little staid, a little uh, unadventurous, whereas this movie is stuff I haven't seen before. And I think it's... It's the kind of thing that would drive a great deal of audience members up a wall. Like people, I'm sure a lot of people hate this fucking movie. <laughs> and I have only a limited tolerance for like that kind of stuff too. Twin Peaks The Return did not work for me. This, yeah. where it's a little bit more, I think thematically it all works. It never feels like it's the director saying fuck you to the audience. Works a lot better for me. And the tone and atmosphere of this is so consistent and like the flirting between comedy and drama really works for me consistently mm -hmm. through this movie. Yeah. I like this a little bit better than, uh, than rear window. I think this is my favorite of the, of the three. So, okay. Well, right well, now it looks like Russell might be sailing towards the pick for the next theme. That might be the case. However, I have an upset because I uh -huh. know we were talking about doing Pontypool, which is one of my favorite movies. But mm -hmm. I think we could probably save that one for a future one because I want to rewatch that and then hit the guy up on Twitter with some real questions because I found out that he's able to answer questions. Um, so what I think I'm going to do is something a little wilder. You guys were talking about Lovecraft a whole lot. So okay. I don't know if you have seen the film Color Out of Space yet starring Nicolas uh, Cage. No. Okay. I have not. And this is this is going along with our trapped theme. Uh-huh. Um, okay. And it goes along with the theme of being in isolation. Um, I won't ruin the movie by telling you more than that. It is streaming different places. Um, we'll definitely have links down below to find all the stuff we're talking about. If we have something like that, or if we're not going to have links down below and this is a podcast, then check your show notes because I'm still learning the technology as I go along. Well, this is a fresh one on me. I, I know almost, I don't, I don't know, I know nothing about this movie. So we'll it's see gonna how this be goes. Fun. It's going to be fun All right. because it's going to be weird. So fair enough. I will warn you, fuck all about it. And uh, all right. Well, um, it's been great chatting. I'm Chris. I'm Zach. This has been The Movie Trap. Join us next week for the last of our trilogy and uh, probably the decision of our next theme will occur next week as well. So mm -hmm. look forward to that. Black on Dios. <laughs> okay, so since my shit froze, I'll go ahead and wrap up my thoughts about uh, The Lighthouse. Um, in general, I, I guess my hypes, I guess my expectations are a little bit up for this movie just because I like The Witch so much and... Um, so like my expectations are probably too high than this movie could possibly deliver but having watched it a second time I, I I definitely appreciate it for what it is um not just the technical achievements but um indeed the the storytelling and the the acting power of, of Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson I thought was pretty bold and uh pretty brave um so that's my lasting thoughts 
uh, from the lighthouse. Um, you know, I, I wish it was a little bit more Lovecraftian than what it was given me, but I guess with Lovecraft, you want to go as, as little as possible, and that's how you win it out. And all right, on that, I'll go ahead and wrap up. Uh, this is Russell Carlson signing off from probably titled The Movie Trap. I want a steak! I want a goddamn steak! I'm... If I had a steak, oh boy, oh, a rare, a bloody steak. If I, if I had a steak, I would fuck it. <laughs>